past year, we've all had to reimagine our lives, searching for new sources of inspiration and new ways to connect. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hello. I'm Yana Peel, Global Head of Arts and Culture at Chanel, and this is Chanel Connects. Bringing together creative game changers from film, art, dance, music, and fashion in conversation from their homes and studios. I'm in the north of Scotland. I'm in my spare room. It's a very quiet area. A horrific shade of yellow. Still in New York City. Some are old friends and collaborators. Others are meeting for the first time. All are focused on what matters most and what happens next. And now, we get to listen in. In this episode, Imagining New Worlds. I'm joined by music producer, entrepreneur, and fashion designer Pharrell Williams as he connects with Ez Devlin, the artist and stage designer who fuses music, language, and light to create perspective-shifting experiences. Could you tell where my head was at when you found me? Me and you went to hell and back just to find peace. Hello, Ez. Hi, Pharrell. So great to be reconnected. I'm just in London preparing for a month of lockdown, and I'm wondering, where does this call find you? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's so good to see my friend Ez again. I'm in Miami, Florida. Um, I'm, in, I'm in London, in the leafy suburb of Dulwich, amongst the trees and the forest. And Ez, when was the last time that you and Pharrell, before all of this, were actually physically in a room together? Do you know what? I can't remember what the date was, because I'm not very good at dates, Pharrell, but I just remember having such a beautiful time in a magical studio with fairy lights and a fire and candles and sitting on the floor and you playing me like the the very sort of, it was one of the early playing sessions, I think, of the NERD record and Lemon and me drawing and sitting on the floor surrounded by bits of paper and pencils (laughs) and just drawing every single beat. I've still got those drawings, you know. That's crazy. It was such a joyful, joyful time. It was such a beautiful record and a gorgeous process that we entered into and so much fun and, and beauty in that. That's what I remember. Pharrell, do you remember what it was that sparked your interest in Ez's work? Uh, Ez's work. <laughs> <laughs> and also like her spirit and energy, the way that she sees things. You know, some people go into character and they turn the thing on. And I don't know that she has an on-off switch. I think she was just born <laughs> on, you know. Well, do you know what, Pharrell? That might be the most gorgeous thing that anyone has ever said to me. And I might leave now because it can't get better than that. Thank you very much. Good night. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do better than that. <laughs> I'm going. You two have never actually collaborated on a fully realized project. So I'm going to put you on the spot, as and ask if Pharrell turned to you right now and asked you to design a set for his next project, where would you begin? How would you start that process? We are in a different world now, aren't we, than where we were when you and I last saw each other. It's a different planet. It's a different world. It's a different culture. Everything has changed. I warned you then. Do you remember? You d- well, this is what I was about to say. You saw it because this was pre-2016 election result, wasn't it? And you were Mm -hmm. envisaging this in the text of those songs. You already saw it. 
So we were kind of grappling with the pre-shadowing of it, the shape of it, of what the country mm. and the planet might be like under the orange mist. And here we are, four years later, having lived within that mist, and how quickly that kind of energy can spread, right? So in answer to your question, Yana, I think our scope would perhaps be even more ambitious. Would you agree, Pharrell, if we were to undertake anything right now, it, it couldn't be done in the spirit purely of communicating a poetic response, but also a response based in activism and an agency of change? Yeah. Pharrell, can you tell us more about that moment? There was a prescience there that I think we'd love to hear about. What was it that you said? Just, I mean, you know, you just pay attention to which way the wind is blowing and you can kind of tell, you know, what kind of day you're going to have. You know, you just start listening to people, listening to the things that they're saying, listening to the things that they're open to. And then you can kind of see where it just might go. And as much as we think whoever we are and the people that we associate with are probably the right group, we're just too massively distracted by, you know, our assistance. Everyone has a personal assistance. It's called your phone. Mm. And it has never told you no. Mm. It tells you yes for everything. Our phones have made us incredibly dependent on the word yes. And because of that, we become opportunistic. And we no longer search for which of the berries are sweet on the vine or, or grapes on the vine. We search for the sweetness of what we want to hear and our, our slants, no matter what they are, politically, racially, religiously, socially. And what Ez is referring to is that time where it was just starting, starting to click going, oh, shit, we're in trouble. There's Because there's no reason for anyone to stand up and do and say the right thing. When you have two to three billion people connected, you start to realize that like, if you're a weirdo, there's millions like you, and all you got to do is find them and you don't have to change. There is an archetype group for you. You don't have to change. So if you don't have to change, you don't necessarily have to elevate for what's right. And so what this has done is has created this world where everyone is spiritually who they really want to be. And then when it comes to the reality of being a real person offline, you're dealing with all kinds of side effects. This was fundamentally changing our lives before our eyes and no one was paying attention. They just thought, oh, our phones are more convenient. They didn't realize that the phones were changing the way that we see ourselves as a species. And I think now for the first time, mankind has seen its reflection in the water of the internet. What I'd love to ask you on that spiritual note is for someone who's gotten so much energy and so much feedback from those live audiences. I'm wondering how you have found your energy, found your fuel in a moment where those audiences and those groups can't come together and give you that kind of spiritual, reciprocal energy. Optimism. Optimism and, you know, it's interesting is that I, I see God in science, especially astronomy, because to me, the universe is one song, right? Universe. No matter how crazy it gets, you know, when you stare out into space, you realize how vast existence is. It gives you hope. All you have to do is think to yourself, you know, every star is just like our star. It's surrounded by its own solar system. Every time you're looking at a star, there are planets around it. And you look at the sheer math of that. It's insurmountable. It's unknowable. It's unmeasurable. It's just way too much. You realize that like, 
at some point we're going to be okay. And, you know, as they say in the Bible, you know, this too shall pass. Pharrell, I'm hearing you on spirituality and thinking about the last time that I felt that spiritual connection. It was um, the late, great Zaha Hadid when she passed, and a gospel choir actually played happy uh, at her funeral. And Mm -hmm. there was this incredible moment of us standing in St. Paul's Cathedral, I remember, mourning the loss of the greatest architect of our time and realizing this primal nature of coming together as humans, which... Sometimes it feels like we've temporarily lost in this pandemic. We were good friends and um, we wanted her to like design our place. And I wasn't at a place at that time where I could, you know, afford Zaha Hadid. Um, And who am I now? I'm, I'm not shit. But man, that woman, her mind, I mean, to be able to walk around in her thoughts was just unbelievable, you know, because her thoughts became structures. Just to pick up on Zaha and that quality of architecture being thought made concrete, I was fortunate enough to visit her extraordinary contemporary art gallery in Baku. That trip actually changed my life in a profound way because I felt I was walking through music made architecture, right? Because each step, I don't know if you've been there, Pharrell, but each step feels like it grew not that someone sat down and planned it, but that it grew uh, organically from her mind. And it, I honestly felt like I was walking through music made into material, music made concrete. Wow. Um, and that particular building, if ever you have the opportunity to go be in it. Have you been there, Yana? It's the most exceptional thing. When I was living in Hong Kong, we went for the opening with Saha, the Aliyev Center, I think it was. She had a beautiful saying, there should be no end to experimentation. And that always makes me think of Ez and your uncanny ability always to look at 360 degrees as you first came on my radar, I guess, 2012, when you did that amazing closing ceremony for the London Olympics. And I'd love to hear if that was a turning point in your career and what happened after that. Can I, can I, just, can I just say something? Mm. Um, you asked as you were like, so what was the turning point in your life? And I just want to say that I think anyone that's ever worked with as realizes that as is a turning point. She's a walking <laughs> turning point for anyone that she interacts with. Like when you walk, when you meet with her, you're having a turning, you're experiencing a turning point. Because as you said, her POV of things, you know, she literally turns things around, you know, and, and, and it's not for her. It doesn't make sense if you can't look at it the other way and it still give you the symmetric relationship of the thing that, that gets you. It's like, well, if you turn it the other way and it doesn't work, well, then that lets you know that it's not all the way there. I'm wanting to just go back and just say, man, you kind of hit it on the nose when you asked her, like, when was her turning? But I'm like, um, she is a turning point. <laughs> But it's interesting that you you put it that way, um, for it's super interesting you put it that way because, in fact, perspective shift has become the kind of point of most of what I'm doing at the moment. And, and perhaps since you and I last spoke, that's become more and more important to me, is why do anything unless yeah. it's engaged in perspective shift? Because there's such a profound need for perspective shift everywhere. And because I make things in concrete material generally and I use pixels and I use energy and I use people's time I more and more begin to feel that I can't quite justify the use of all those resources 
unless there is some agency of the work in terms of shifting people's perspective. So that's become a really clear, perhaps it was always there under the surface, but since 2016, actually, which was when I first really started working with Yana, that's really become much more foregrounded in the practice. Like, what's the purpose of this work? Yana very kindly introduced me in 2016 to Hans Ulrich Obrist at the Serpentine, and he then put me on to the writing of Timothy Morton, the eco-philosopher, who said he, he actually wrote a little manifesto for artists in the face of climate crisis. Wow. And he said, listen, artists, don't bother preaching to us because we're, we're not going to change our ways because you're preaching us. Please amaze us. Mm. Your job is to amaze us into changing our mind. That's your job. And I took that really to heart because I was looking for guidance. I love that. As before we move back into the philosophical place of shifting perspectives, can you come back to that moment of the literal turning around of objects, just for these listeners who may not have had the pleasure of seeing Lehman Trilogy? Can you go back to that place where that rotation started, the 360-degree view? Well, this, this also comes back to something that you both said, and Pharrell, you were talking about the, the dominance of the screen um, and how our mode of seeing things is entirely now predicated on this interaction with a with a moving image on a screen, right? Mm-hmm. So my audience, our audience, is trained up in the moving image, right? So if I have an audience that can't move, right? I've got an audience in a stadium or I've got an audience in a theatre, pretty much they're in their seat. How do I offer them that perspective shift that I'm able to offer them if I can move my camera lens and I can change the height and shape of a person through just zooming in or through editing or through post-production, how can I achieve those kind of magic tricks without post-production and editing? And the way I can do it is by physically revolving a sculpture, physically moving a giant piece and projecting images on it. That's my means of transporting artists, performers, and an audience. So that's why things tend to be shown from multiple perspectives and why they're kinetic, because it helps move people. It helps communicate the passing of time. As how did you approach that challenge and opportunity when working with Jay-Z and Kanye West on Watch the Throne? Well, that was a really specific moment in time because, you know, you have two incredibly distinctive artists who are at once incredibly powerful, but in my mind, also incredibly vulnerable. Mm -hmm. You have two artists who are at once elevated, here they are in a position of power, but isolated and I would say vulnerable. And I wanted to communicate both that vulnerability and that magnificence in one gesture. That was really the point of that work. Which was amazing, by the way. Thank you. Do you remember when you saw that, Pharrell? Yeah, a couple times. I actually saw it in Miami and I saw it in Los Angeles. You know, wherever we were in town and they were like performing, we would go check it out. It was good. Both of you have such experience collaborating with star performers and rising performers as well, to whom you've been so generous over the years. Is it difficult to approach collaborating with artists who also bring their own really ambitious, creative visions and personalities to the table? I mean, do you ever have to contend with your own ego in those situations? I love that. I love that. I think you learn that way. You know, if you have all the ideas, then you have all the answers, then like, you know, you pretty much know how things are going to go and how boring is that? You know, I think when different people bring different energy and different ambitions, it's like, it's new. They're providing this new canvas. They're providing new artistic platforms 
for you to learn first and foremost of something new, different, left of center, left of your center. And man, an opportunity to even possibly collaborate and be in addition to whatever they envisage. That's the spirit of collaboration for me. You know, um, Frel, you were mentioning before the fractal nature of the expansion of the way our species is interacting with the digital environment. And, and that's the scary side of it. But there's also, in the way that you see in science, the repeated patterns that feel that they have a cosmic meaning in some way or, you know, a sense of underlying meaning. It's something I've been looking at quite a lot is the symmetry of the maths within us, within our bodies and outside us. For example, inside our lungs, the trees, the bronchial trees that actually allow any of us to breathe. Yeah. The maths that governs the bifurcation and the fractal branching of those structures is exactly, as you know, the same maths that governs the branching of trees and the branching of you know rivers bifurcating or raindrops falling down the front of a windscreen uh, or so many other things. It's just that same beauty in that. And it's something I've been looking at quite a lot. And it made me think about collaboration. When I understand why things bifurcate, right, as I read about it, I understand that the reason for the fractal geometry of a tree or of a lung is to expand as far as possible the exposure of every atom of surface area to the atmosphere, right? Mm -hmm. The reason a tree grows like that is because it wants to maximize its exposure to the rest of the biosphere. The reason a lung grows like that is because it wants to fit a whole tennis court of expansion to exchange gases. And I think the reason I love collaborating with so many people is because I just want to maximize my exposure to the most beauty and the most variety of ideas and culture that I can possibly cram into my curious day, you know? Yes. Well, well, I was just going to add to what you're saying and say, like, you know, the way that life exists, the way that life lives is bifurcating. And by the way, everything you're saying reminds me of this documentary that I watch over and over again, and I'm going to continue to watch it 10, 20 more times, is called The Code. Mm. It's unbelievable. And it's just based on like all the math that exists in everything. You know, why there seems to be six sides to the hexagons and the beehive and mm. so on and so forth. It's unbelievable. And they talked about the fractal patterns that are in nature and why, and they explain it so well. Pharrell, I'm thinking how important you as an artist have been to other artists who are coming up. Uh, any particular art obsessions at the moment or collaborations realized or unrealized across the arts? I think uh, quarantining and social distancing has changed who we are as a species forever and how we see things and where we find value. So. Offhand, I don't know. Like my head has been in my laptop just making music. And I haven't really taken a second to see how I feel and what moves me. That's probably not good. But I just haven't had a moment to just look up. Everything's online. Everything. So my perspective of like physical spaces and what I'd like to see in them or what inspires me in physical spaces is very limited because we've been quarantined for a super long time. It's still just, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm, I might be uh, disoriented. My context is not where I would want it to be in order to really answer that question. Well, the summer, as you say, we all had our heads down. We were deeply impressed to see the cover of Time where you wrote a searing essay on a Black vision of the future. 
So clearly, mm-hmm. that's been something top of mind. And then, of course, you launched Entrepreneur with Jay-Z. So I'd love to hear what fueled that moment. Well, being African diaspora, being a Black man in, in America, we've always had challenges. There's been a lot of disadvantages and purposeful... Excuse me. <laughs> wow. Bless you. Excuse me, excuse me, Bless excuse you. Me. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Thank you, thank you. Um, <laughs> got the spray. <laughs> um, it smells really good. You guys should smell this if you ever get a chance. It's like, um, it just smells so uh, like a Jolly Rancher. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it does. Um, for us, it's like there's like a lot of blocks and, and, and blockages and disadvantages, right? And once you see something, you can't unsee it anymore. And um, I love my country, first and foremost. Um, I really love our progression. We've come a long way. I'm really in love with the untapped potential, though, right? Mm-hmm. You got to think about it. For us, there's American history, which is everything that's happened to Black people just as much as this happened to our white brothers and sisters. But for the most part, you know, in school, you're pretty much taught American history. And then in February, you have Black history. It's kind of like we're taught that, like, okay, everyone came over, you know, on the Mayflower and Plymouth Rock and, you know, everything was fine with the Native Americans. And then you find out, okay, man, we're celebrating Thanksgiving, but it was not Thanksgiving for the Native Americans. Like, how must you feel as a Native American, you know, as a First Nation human being in this country, when we celebrate Thanksgiving, like, oh, yeah, everything was cool. Like, Trail of Tears was not cool. Mm-hmm. And so when you start to see these things as Black people, you start to ask yourself, why are we at such a disadvantage? And the reason why is because we don't really have a voice, right? And someone say, well, man, look at Oprah, look at Jay-Z and, you know, Barack Obama. And it's like, yeah, it's very, 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 very small percentage of us. Mm-hmm. We've always had disproportionate access to education, disproportionate access to healthcare, and disproportionate access to representation and, and legislation. Why have we always been at that those disadvantages? Because those are the three pillars. Because we don't own things. We don't own enough. So we started thinking about it like, man, this is a real thing. This is a real issue. And there needs to be some programs in place, one of which I can't get into right now but something that is coming because we need to find more black entrepreneurs. We need to own more things so that we can have more of a voice. And so Jay-Z and I decided to, you know, make a PSA for that and kind of tell some stories of some entrepreneurs that were doing well. I've tried to truncate it because it's such a long speech that I give when I'm talking about this other effort that I'm not at liberty to talk about at the moment, but that Chanel was incredibly helpful and has decided to partner with us on it. So I'm very excited about it. Can't talk about it yet, but it's cool. Pearl, we're so looking forward to that. Thank you. And as I would love to turn to some of the projects you have on, including Children of the Internet, I believe, that new track. Can you give us a glimpse into your world? Oh, well, listen, it, this is very much along the lines that, Pharrell, you were talking about a little earlier in the conversation. Um, this is a track with a producer you probably know called Fraser T. Smith, um, who works with Stormzy and Dave. Wow. And uh, he made a track with myself and Dave. My 
contribution to it is a meditation on the feedback loop between objects and humans. Mm. So humans design an object, the object redesigns the human, the redesigned human designs a new object, the new object redesigns the human again. And we constantly live in this feedback loop with ourselves and what we design, exactly as you were describing earlier about the smartphone. Uh, I'll send you the book, actually, because I think it's you would love it. And I'm going to look at your code documentary. I can't wait to see that. So the smartphone, we designed it and then it redesigned us. So I'm in this Mm. track. I'm saying that just with my voice, just saying it. And Dave has made a a piece which I think would really resonate with you, where he just directly describes his experience of manufactured relationships over the Internet. And he calls it Children of the Internet. That's the name of the song. But I'll send it to you. I think you might find it interesting. And for me, it's uh, it was new because I, I've only just learned to become comfortable with the sound of my own voice, right? We're talking about voices. And I became, I never used to like the sound of my own voice. I thought when I heard it on the phone or something, I didn't like it. But as I started reading stories to my children at night, I got used to the sound of my own voice mm-hmm. and I would fall asleep while I was reading a story, you know, and I'm sure... <laughs> I want to ask you how the triplets are, but I I got used to the sound of my own voice through using it as a way to teach my children and to tell them stories. And I liked it better after that. And so that gave me the courage to use it actually on a song. You know, it took a while. That's so cool. Do you mind if I ask about the kids and how their childhood creatively is different from yours? Yeah, listen, it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because we all have these misty-eyed fantasies about you know, I spent most of my life, if I saw a dotted line with a little drawing of a pair of scissors, either side of the dotted line, I was in. Like if I was <laughs> eating my cereal and there was on the back of a cereal packet, a little dotted line with a pair of scissors, I would get those scissors and I would cut because <laughs> I wanted to have agency on the cereal packet. And then guess what? If when you got inside the cereal packet, there was printing on the inside of the cereal packet, that was enough for me because there wasn't much on in the 1970s and 80s when I was growing up. We spent a lot of time making castles out of toilet rolls and cereal packets and gerbil runs. And, you know, that's what we did. So anything that I've tried to project into my own children's upbringing that relates to mine, it's ended, you know, with me sitting there on my own with a cereal packet and them going off because they're not interested. So what I've really done is tried to enter their world. And I spent quite a lot of time at the beginning of the lockdown in Fortnite with my son, just trying to see it again from his perspective to try and understand what does a 10-year-old see? You know, why why does he love this? You know, I'm not going to judge anything without entering into it. So as I began to enter into his world and I realised that he is associating memories with this virtual landscape the way that I associate memories with physical landscape. So I plant my memories in places and humans have always done so. We plant our memories in place. And my son is planting memories in virtual place. Mm. And I've got to learn. I have to try and evolve and learn to do that because this is where he's native and I'm not. So that's really one of the big distinctions. Wow. That was so well said. I think I second that. You know, our children are definitely like Rocket is um, the Mars generation, you know, and then the triplets are, man, I don't even know. But as is correct. It's like our memories are more offline and geographical and um, our children's memories are often online, which is a beautiful thing, right? It's that context never really changes. It's just the evolution of the technology just continues to change. 
we are forever changed as a species. We always were, right? In the 1970s, we were forever changed. This is different. This is kind of like, this is the matrix, full on. I mean, Pharrell, you, you always had the vision of creating a kind of army, a movement, let's say. And at the end of that Netflix piece, The Social Dilemma, when there's the sort of message of hope at the end from those experts who, who are psychologists and who are really analysing the effect on our species of our current digital moment. When asked, what's the hope? You remember at the end, one of the psychologists says, there will be hope if the next generation decides as a movement, as a population, to not be the product. You know, that saying, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. If they make a concerted decision to not be the product and to not be used by the algorithms, but to somehow turn it, swivel it and take back agency. And I think, you know, what you were envisaging back then when we were working, I can't even remember what year it was. It must have been 2015, 2016. You had the sense of people mobilizing and you already had this idea that people were going to come to a concert And they would have already been prepared, right? You gave them tutorials. They were going to learn the steps. They were going to learn to participate. They were going to be participant and not consumer. And I do think that in the future of gaming, one of the things I'm very interested in is, can we make a game that will seduce and entrance my son as much as Fortnite does? But instead of just keeping him entranced by the pixels, we'll lead him back out into the planet, Mm -hmm. right? Is there a game that takes me in through a computer but magically leads me out the other side of the computer, back to the trees, back to the sea, back to the stars, back to Mars, back to the grass, back to the sand, back to the things I can touch, because I've still got a body. This is the inconvenient thing. The pace of evolution of our minds is fast, but we've still got these inconvenient bodies stuck to our brains, right? They don't seem to be evaporating. They're still here, these weird appendages called bodies. So you just witnessed the turning point. <laughs> that was the turning point in action. The magic of Ez. Yeah, I'm going to follow this up with a, a game brainstorm. Yeah, I'm with it. Pharrell, we've waited this long, and I'm going to get to politics. Of course, the U.S. presidential election has shown us how completely divided America is as many of our countries are, and I'm wondering, do you see a path forward for healing that division? You know, the White House is just one house in the neighborhood. We have to be concerned about our neighborhoods, our communities, and invest in whatever way we can, not just us, but our advocates and allies. Everybody that feels disenfranchised, not just uh, Black folks, but, you know, First Nation people, LGBTQIA, undocumented workers, our South American brothers and sisters as well, our poor white brothers and sisters. Like, literally, we have to invest in in our communities and invest in ourselves. And I'd always say, man, keep God first and and recognize how we use the word God. Because in our nation's uh, Pledge of Allegiance, it's this one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And we haven't been one nation. I don't think we ever have been. Indivisible. We're very divided, you know, under God. Well, God is not happy with the God that I know is not into how we treat our South American brothers and sisters at the border. Liberty and justice for all. I mean, it's not for all, but we can get there. Does faith play a role in your life as? 
I mean, I, I do feel if we can recognise the common denominators that connect us to all the process around us in the planet and in the cosmos, I do feel that if we can just see that, you know, if one person can make a connection and recognise that the only reason we can breathe is because of the math that developed within us mm -hmm. that's exactly the same as the math that developed in a tree. And we get connections. When people show us a picture of two things that match, something happens and we get it. It bypasses actually this accountant bit of the brain. It just goes straight to the old limbic amphibian at the back. And for me, that's where my faith lies. I, I, I recognize the beauty and the coherence and the symmetry and the music at work in nature and at work inside our own unvisited bodies, right? We, we know so little about what goes on inside our minds and inside our bodies. And that's, that's where my faith is, that the maths is there, the beauty's there, the geometry is there. And we need to perhaps show it to people. Thank you so much, Pharrell, as for joining me. Thank you. So great. Thank you so much, guys. Yes, thank you, Yana, and thank you, Az. I miss you. Yeah, miss you too, man. Lots of love. Thank you for listening to Chanel Connects. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app to get new episodes as soon as they're released. <laughs>